Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Let's Talk. If you are new, Let's Talk is a podcast hosted by Kirti J. Raman, where special guests discuss social justice issues, activism, and how to be a socially responsible human. Today, we have Dr. Ami Shah to discuss staying informed, particularly how to navigate current events and the importance of engaging in media literacy in the 21st century. Dr. Shah was my world history teacher in high school, and I still remember leaving every class with a new outlook on the world. Her encouragement to stay informed about what is happening in the world while also making connections to understand why such moments in history occur is something that I value so much and still try to do every day. Welcome, Dr. Shah. Hi, Kirti. It's so wonderful to be with you and an honor to be a part of anything you are working on. So thank you for inviting me on. And also anytime that I get to have a conversation with you, of course, is a joy in my day. So to begin our conversation, I thought I'd share an anecdote with you guys. So at the beginning of every world history class in high school, Dr. Shaw would ask us, what is happening in the world? As students, this was either a moment of embarrassment if we hadn't been keeping up with the news, or pride if we actually read and watched the news the night before. So, Dr. Shaw, what is happening in the world today? And can you share with us your logic in determining what news is worth remembering or further inspection? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting when we had talked about this, two quotes came to mind. One, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. So everything is happening in the world. Um, and a lot of it is really deeply painful to watch. And so it reminded me of another kind of poem by Warsan Shire, where she talks about holding an atlas and she asks the atlas where it hurts. The atlas whispers to her everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. So it's, it's kind of difficult to hone in on what in particular I think is important to think about. But one thing that I think is really important to think about is the country we live in, which is the United States of America. And one of the things that's really been striking for me is to see really how little people know of American history. In the context of the George Floyd protests, the Black Lives Matter protests, something that's been particularly striking to me is the kind of disconnect between our understanding of domestic policy and our understanding of foreign policy. Because the way we treat non-white populations in the United States is how we've treated non-white populations and all of our foreign policy interventions since 1945. And so, you know, there isn't really a disconnect between what happens in Detroit and what happens in Saigon. I mean, they are obviously different places, but there's this way in which what happens inside of our country is also happening outside of our country. And I think it's important to marry both a kind of an understanding of domestic and foreign policy. That idea, especially I noticed in living in America, a lot of time we get sucked into this idea of like our bubble being all that there is to the world and that nothing else is happening. And I think especially now with a lot of resources being shared on social media or whatnot, people are realizing that the world is a lot bigger than themselves and that there are things that they should pay attention to. And I think that there are many patterns that you notice too just throughout the world that even if it's something that's miles away, it still has some remnant that you can relate to in some regard. And I think that's what makes these connections and discussions more meaningful. For that reason, it's hard to determine what's worth remembering, but everything has a value that's worth reading or at least analyzing. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, the human story is remarkably universal, right? It's just inflected uniquely in a particular nation or culture if you're a part of a particular religious group. And so I think Americans, whether you're young or old, we have a particular responsibility to understand not just American history, but how what happens in our country doesn't stay in our country. And that's something that you've seen with the Black Lives Matters protests, that they've gone global, right? Because blackness is a condition that all minorities and oppressed people face, if not necessarily based on their skin color, but their class, their religious status. And so I think that that's why there's been so much resonance. You see protests in Australia, right, for indigenous people, or in India for Muslim populations and Dalit populations and indigenous peoples in India. And so I do think that Americans have a particular responsibility to pay attention to the news. And in terms of the sources, that we can use. We live in almost a utopia of informational access, that there isn't anything that we can't access, even though it's kind of utopian, it's also dystopic because the information we access is often very troubling. So in terms of gathering information and remembering information, I think it's it's hard to, to predetermine what you should know. I think it's really important to cast a really wide net and to bring in different types of sources and kind of sift through them one by one to get a sense of what is going to serve your particular needs the best. Because there are certain types of sources, say a podcast, give you a different type of information than reading a book, for example. And so I don't think you can predetermine your sources, but I think you should cast a really wide net so that you are really getting a cross-section of voices getting a cross-section of kind of intellectual approaches. And also to that point, though, of media being having so many different forms and ways to digest different information, it leads us into our second question, which is, with fake news becoming more rampant, the importance of media literacy has come into the public eye. For those of you who don't know, media literacy is the ability to decode media messages and assess the influence of those messages on thoughts, feelings, etc., So talk to me about how you consume media and the process you utilize to determine whether you're using a reliable source. Well, first of all, what I would say is that I think acquiring knowledge and interacting with different media sources is always going to be a kind of a trial and error. There's not one size fits all. I mean, ideally, I think just like we take care of our bodies and just like we go to work and just like we make time for our friends, I think it's important to have devoted time to really just investigating things. One of the ways that I like to think about this is, I think that, you know, we are often prescribed, if you think about the standard American diet, right? The food pyramid that many of us grew up with. I know they switched it to a food plate at some point, but there's a kind of a diet of things that we're supposed to intake from fats and oils and grains to vegetables, fruits, dairy, etc. And I think in that same way, one has to have a media diet. And I think that, you know, one, you have to diversify your sources, just like um, on a food plate, you can't just eat bread. You have to also include other elements. So I think when you're thinking about sources, you should be thinking about books. And there's the whole layer within that. Do you read academic press, journal articles that have been peer reviewed? Do you read kind of popular um, BuzzFeed articles? Do you read fiction? Do you read nonfiction? Do you read magazines? And if so, do you, are you reading 
The New Yorker? Or are you reading People magazine? And so you have to diversify your sources. That is to say, right, a kind of a balanced plate would include, right, your fruits and vegetables, but also maybe some junk food. If you diversify your plate, if you if you if you use different sources to collect information, you will also come to realize over time that some of these sources are healthier than others, right? And so one of the things that's important in addition to diversifying your sources is then to understand, to be able to hierarchize, right? What sources are healthier than others? And that doesn't mean that you only eat healthy, that you only eat kale, right? You also have to eat chocolate. But right, you have to be aware that there are nutritious media sources and there are media sources that are just empty calories and they both have their place. There's never just one type of source that you need. And it's really important to know when, you know, sometimes I think these days when some of the news is just so difficult to read and when you think about some of the images that we see of, of people suffering, that it's really important consciously to sometimes say, I can't take that in right now. Right, and I need to do something a little more lighthearted or whatever it may be. And so, you know, reading the news or, or combing through different media sources shouldn't be a kind of a punishment, right? One should be informed, but also well balanced and also taking care of one's emotional health. Because I, I, I do think it's really easy to overeat, right? To kind of to gouge on bad news and, and kind of hide under the covers or sometimes to just completely disregard anything and focus on celebrity culture. And so I think you have to kind of approach media sources like you would any diet. Yeah, of course. And I think that the point that you bring up about fiction also being something that you can read and gain from, I think that's often not said enough because a lot of the viewpoints or characters that are in certain books actually shed a lot of light on a lot of people's real experiences. There's a reason when people can say like, oh, I really related to that book because authors are are creating fictional characters, but they reflect something true. And I think especially when you make an effort to read books about BIPOC joy and you're still getting a glimpse into a perspective that you may have never thought about before, your reading doesn't have to be solely like anti-racist nonfiction works that are pretty hard to digest all in one sitting. So I think that the whole idea of a diet or thinking about it visually like in the food pyramid is so relevant because if you eat too much of one thing, you're never going to eat it again. Like all of us have had a moment where we've like completely binged on like one item, like whether that be like Nutella or something, and we can't eat it ever again. And especially when anti-racism work and media literacy is something that's going to be ongoing for your entire life. There's never going to be a point where you're like, oh, I'm completely literate in media and I don't need to do anything anymore. Because I think once you've hit that point, then you have to look back and say like, why am I thinking this way? I think what you're saying, Kirti, is actually really true. You have to you have to let in room for joy and also for more serious endeavors. But I think you have to pace yourself because the burnout is really real. Yeah, of course. And also to that point, though, when like trying to determine if whether you're reading a reliable source, I was wondering what your opinion was on people receiving a lot of their news on social media and kind of digesting it and taking that as the gospel in some regards and reposting and saying like this is what's happening but not necessarily fact checking because when you're scrolling through your phone that's you're no one's going to do that and especially in an age of infographics a lot of people are taking what they see on social media 
as the truth. So I was wondering what your opinion is on that and if it's a good thing, a bad thing, or a complex in between. Well, I think it's inevitable. I think that over 80% of people get their information from social media, and I think that that's only going to increase. So there's no point in bemoaning it. It just is what it is at this point. But I also think a few things need to happen. One, it's really important to know that every single article, every single news source is biased. There is no such thing as an unbiased source. You know, whether it's the New York Times, it's the Washington Post, it's BuzzFeed, it's People magazine. I mean, everything has a point of view. If we know that everything we are consuming has a point of view, there's nothing that is apolitical. That is not to say it's overtly political, but just like all of us individuals have biases, so do news sources because they're written by people. And once you know that, you can't take anything at face value. That is not to say you should be skeptical of every single thing, but I think it's naive to think that anything is somehow more truthful. And when you put in advertising, right, because how do media sources generate revenue? They generate it through advertising, right? So there's money involved and there's bias involved. And that's, I think, an initial layer to kind of to understand. But I think after that, we do have the responsibility to fact check, actually. What I would recommend is, one, never just stop at the headline. Make sure you read the entire article. And if you're reading the article, it's really important to, to notice small things. Are they quoting anyone? Who are they quoting, right? Are they using graphs? Are they using charts? So I think it's really important to make time to maybe go through the headlines, but pick two or three articles that you wanna read fully. And then if maybe one of them really piques your interest to do some, some Googling on it. It's not possible to know everything. So you have to make choices. And so, but I think whatever news source you're using, you must understand it has bias. And two, you have a responsibility to investigate what that article is talking about. If it doesn't resonate with you or if it's not clear, it's really easy to do a quick follow-up on any source. Yeah, for sure. And I think also with Instagram too, one thing that I've been doing that some people might find useful if they're in a similar situation is when I see the same Instagram source about like a current event or maybe a bigger topic that's been in conversation a lot, multiple times on a lot of people's Instagram stories or Facebook accounts, I click on it and I see what it's about and then I Google it. And because if it's receiving that much visibility and people that are in my social network, I feel like that's important for me to understand what's going on in that regard. So like if you are at a loss when you're looking at news outlets that have like hundreds of thousands of different things being reported on, that's a good way to start too because you can say like what are people in my social networks caring about and hopefully I know a little bit more too. So that's kind of one method I've been taking but I do agree that it it is a good outlet when you're looking at news to just have an understanding that it is biased because I think when we fall into this rabbit hole of saying like, oh, it was biased, so I can't believe anything it said, then people just don't want to read about important things that are happening in general. And that's kind of like the similar pattern that we're seeing with people just like giving up altogether rather than just having an understanding and going into it with a growth mindset. Well, to your point, I think, you know, bias has a, has, um, acquired such a negative connotation you could also just think of bias as perspective and then when you're you're looking through it an article or a video i mean what are the facts that are being presented right where do the facts begin and where does opinion begin 
I think it's really important to understand everything is written with some combination of fact and opinion, right? And facts are immune to bias. That is where you should try to anchor yourself in a news source, right? Being able to see that there's bias, but then bias is a combination of fact and opinion. And so where are the facts in the article? And I think your point about this accusation is really important because sometimes right now, especially in the wake of cancel culture, we're starting to get into treacherous territory in that, yes, everyone has a bias, but if we also value free speech, which is enshrined in the First Amendment, um, you can disagree with someone's opinion, you can debunk their information, but do you cancel them? Exactly. And this is a huge question, especially in this day and age. And then it's easy to cancel them if they're saying something that you don't agree with. But the basis of a civil society has to be freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And that is not just speech, but it's also protest. And that is so important. And that was so important to our founding fathers that they put it in the First Amendment. And so I really think it's not a good idea. So when you're thinking about media literacy and you're thinking about trying to build your own reservoir of knowledge, I don't think it's helpful to think about it in Republican and Democratic terms. Your base of knowledge is your base of knowledge. And then, right, and I, it will never map perfectly onto any political party. And so I think what's starting to happen is we're just canceling people based on what we think are their political affiliations. But knowledge is bigger than a political party. Media literacy is bigger than a political party. And it's bigger than this election, even in November. And so I think they're separate things. Cultivating your understanding of the world doesn't always have to result in this black and white division of Democrat and Republican. 100%. And I so. think that's honestly... I feel like a lot of complicated topics are often boiled down to that, which is just not productive in any way. And it's kind of a shame that you're taking out so many complexities and important points that can be brought up if you just didn't boil it down to political parties. Because honestly, at the end of the day, a lot of these topics go way beyond and past any political party relevant of United States politics and the world beyond. I do think it's okay to fight hard and to present your opinion and to, to try to make change in the world in whatever way you want to. But I think then it's important not to carry that animosity out of the field, the arena that we all kind of operate in. And that's not to say you have to get along with everyone. It's just really important. If you want to talk, you have to have someone there to listen, vice versa. So listening is also really an important part of cultivating media literacy. I think people are just really operating out of their feelings over issues, which is important, but it's also not the whole story. All these topics lead us to our last question. So researchers at the University of Washington have developed a program using artificial intelligence to create fake footage of someone speaking. For example, such programming makes it possible for people to create concerningly believable videos of important government officials saying quite outlandish things, etc. While such innovations and technologies are certainly exciting, it raises a lot of questions about how we will consume accurate information. So what advice do you have for people who feel lost when attempting to stay informed? And on the other hand, how should people go about correcting peers who may have been misinformed? What I think is really important when you're consuming any kind of information is that there should be some time 
between you processing that information and speaking about it. So when I was a kid growing up, there was a cartoon character who it was a bear and he used to have a very awful temper. And so his face would turn red and everyone would tell him, you know, take 10 deep breaths. And, you know, the way the cartoon worked, you would see visually the red draining from his face. And so I think one of the things that has to happen first is you have to digest information before you can start to share it with others. Every second there's breaking news. I think it's really important to give yourself the freedom to take some time to think, to mull over something, to do a little poking around, and to also, quite honestly, not know what you think. It's not important that you have a, a fully fleshed out opinion on every single thing that comes across your desk. It's important to know when to speak, when not to speak, you know, when you need more time to understand something. Um, it involves a kind of a slowing down of the 24-hour news cycle by very consciously ingesting something and thinking about it. And then also, right, taking a chance to put your ideas out into the world and realizing that they might change. We all think we should know everything immediately. I mean, like our bodies aren't designed to take in this much information all the time and to be processing information all the time. You know, so coming back to even that idea of, you know, a media diet, sometimes you have to fast. Sometimes it's really important to fast, to take a break, right? To not have to feel responsible to, quote, represent yourself or your community or to, you know, uh, weigh in on a heavy issue. I think it's really important to sometimes eat less, to fast, so that you can process everything. It will allow us to really discern what is fake and what is real. Yeah, for sure. And I think this whole idea of feeling lost, especially in this new ages news cycle with people coming up with opinions almost immediately after news has been broken, is really harmful too because... I feel like in this, like, especially with having conversations with my own peers and people in general, like, when I don't have an opinion on a certain topic, it makes it seem like I didn't do enough research or I don't have anything to contribute to the conversation. And I think that that's such a harmful outlook, especially when you're trying to be better by just, like, learning. Having an opinion on anything is not necessarily helpful in every situation. And I think admitting that oh, I'm reading about it or I'm learning about it, I don't really quite know where I stand, is not you like necessarily having a, a bad opinion or quote-unquote bad opinion because a lot of time I feel like when people say that they ha or haven't developed something yet, people automatically assume that they think one way. And in order to form good opinions and actually be able to have like a personal whether that be like goals or understanding of anything that's happening in the world, you have to do reading. And I think that journey is at many different paces for different people. And I think that most people assume that it has to be immediate and not everyone's at that pace. And that's to expect everyone to be is very unrealistic and it's only going to lead to disappointment. And I don't know, I'd rather have a conversation with someone who admits that they haven't fully have a formed opinion on something than with someone that has an assumption of what opinion I want to hear and just explain it at a very surface level and clearly like doesn't actually care. Personally I've noticed that like a lot of time like I speak to people kind of like preaching to the choir in some regards. I feel like that's not like super helpful conversations but then also at the same time like when people bring up points that 
I may fundamentally disagree with. Like, there is a small part of me that still feels somewhat defensive. And I think that it takes a lot of time to truly have this open mind when having conversations with people. And we're all human, so we all are going to eventually feel a little defensive at points or, like, want to shut down something that we just don't enjoy hearing. But you learn so much more in dissent than you do in just, like, speaking to people that are like-minded. Like, don't get me wrong, like when we form friendships and stuff like that, that is based on like some sort of shared experience or shared opinion. But also like it does lead you to experience or listen to different people and different opinions. I don't know. I've always learned more in a debate than I have just like talking to people that think the same way as me. And I I wonder if you have any more opinions on that. No, I, I think that's absolutely true. I think it's really important to have people who share your worldview and your values But I also think it's really important to move outside of our comfort zone. So, for example, with the recent Supreme Court decisions that were handed down, I know not everyone would do this or has the time to do, but something I would recommend is I went and I read the majority opinion. And then you had other justices who did also agree with the majority opinion, but wanted to write their own rule, their own opinion. And then you had the dissent. And I read all three right within the majority There are differences of how they understand the law, even though they came to the same general understanding. And then there's the dissent. And so, you know, often, right, we all talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg as, you know, the ultimate, you know, hero of our republic. And she also probably is. But when you when you read interviews with her, you know, she was incredibly close with Justice Scalia, who was about as red as you can get. Do you think even the Supreme Court, even though it's a kind of a problematic institution, you do have really different opinions, right? They're looking at the same law. They're looking at the same set of facts from the, the defense and the prosecution, yet they are able to exist on the bench together and really passionately hold their views and write their views, but they're still able to coexist, right? We can have profound differences, but we can also be kind to one another. And I I think that what you're saying about seeking out different voices and and talking to different people is really helpful because it it doesn't progress knowledge to exist in an echo chamber where you're just hearing yourself repeated back to you. I think it's also important to not hold ourselves to an unrealistic standard, which is that once I have an opinion, that's the opinion I have to have for the rest of my life. We always grow and we evolve. And so I think our truths sometimes change over time. And so we have to be willing to let ourselves have the room to grow in different directions and not be worried about the judgment of others because some people will say, oh, well, you used to think this. And yes, I did. But now I've kind of grown and I've, I've read more and I've experienced more and I have seen more. And now my, shifting, my thinking has shifted a little bit. To that point that you bring up about kindness, it kind of goes with the second part of the question being, how should people go about correcting peers who may have been misinformed, this being conversation purely about facts? I guess it also relates to having dissenting conversations that may be more about opinion. Well, so I think one of the best things to do is to open with questions, not with statements. And so if you are talking to someone and they they are expressing things that you just fundamentally disagree with and you feel the bile rising, I think it's really important to stop again, take a breath and ask them, 
That's really interesting. I haven't thought of it that way. Can you tell me why you think that? What have you been reading? You know, oh, really? That podcast? I've heard that podcast, but I, you know, I didn't, I didn't subscribe to it. But is there an episode you would recommend? And it's not, that's not being condescending. I think that's actually being genuine. I think people sometimes think you're mocking them if you ask them questions as if you're kind of asking them leading questions so you can trap them, right? And so that gotcha mentality it has to be put aside. I think genuine questions, genuinely, I want to understand why you think this and giving them time to talk instead of you talking at them and raising the decibel level and everyone then just digs in their heels and then our biases about the other person are confirmed as are theirs of ours. And so I think the first thing to do is to really openly and genuinely ask someone why they believe what they believe and to try to think about, well, they might have a series of life experiences that are really different than yours. One of the things that's happened is we've just flattened everyone into a caricature and we've reduced complexity into a soundbite. And so I think the best thing to do is to create a space for dialogue where you step out of your comfort zone and you actually ask someone what they believe and why they believe it with the genuine intent of listening, not just refuting them. It's not like you're just listening and in your head, you're like, oh, well, I'm gonna counter that with this, 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 and this. In the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, there is the bodhisattva of compassion. And one of the parts of compassion, I think, is deeply listening, is deeply observing, right? Because you really care for other people when you recognize their humanity. We can create the world that we wanna live in. And so if every individual can take some time to reach out to someone in a conversation and try to understand their point of view, that doesn't mean you have to become best friends with them. That doesn't mean you even have to like what they have to say, but don't deny them their experience and their voice. So as you're kind of going through the the media landscape, I think it's important not to take on that conflict, right? Some of that is for television, and it doesn't have to be in our own lives. And so, you know, I, I really think it's important to not get kind of wrapped up in the personality of it and the vitriol of it, but really in the, in the kind of human being you're talking to in front of you. And, and again, I keep coming back to this, create a civil discourse because at the heart of any democratic society is the idea of a social contract, right? That we have agreed that we all have rights And so in no conversation should you be usurping someone else's right or telling them what to think. And so we can disagree, but there are rules to engagement. And I think as a society, we've kind of lost our way a little bit. And so it's it's a practice we need to cultivate. One thing that came to mind is like a lot of people have been talking about how saying agree to disagree is a conversation ender and like doesn't allow for people to actually engage in this discourse. So maybe my new phrase that I should start saying more often is we should be comfortable with disagreeing and having a conversation and still disagreeing and being comfortable with that just allows for more learning to take place. And I think that that's a really good point, lots of good points that you brought up about being able to engage and be kind in the process as well. Diversity actually also has to be ideological diversity, not just epidermal diversity. And I think that that's really important. And so I just, I think that's a lesson for the left and for the right. Exactly. 
And that's a perfect note to end our conversation today. So thank you so much for speaking with me today, Dr. Shah. Her information will be linked on our Instagram account at Let's Talk with Kirthi. And we will be uploading a new podcast episode every Friday featuring a different special guest each week to tackle another important conversation. The truth is hard to find, difficult to accept, and important to understand. Although staying informed in the 21st century is becoming an increasingly complicated task, we hope you may consider some of the methods we discussed in today's podcast. As mentioned earlier, in an age where knowledge is incredibly accessible, ignorance is a choice. And with that, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Let's Talk.